You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. There's a... um a word that we often use when we're talking about things we're dealing with, um, and it can actually have a good component and then a bad component. The word is tension. There's bad tension and there's good tension. Uh, the bad tension is the kind that you have when you have that awkward family conversation and it's really quiet and you don't know what to say. That's bad tension or, you know, kind of tension in your muscles and it really hurts. That's bad tension. But good tension would be like tension to hold up a hammock. You want some good tension for that. Uh, or a tension bridge. If there's not good tension, then the bridge isn't being held up. So that's good tension. And, and I think the people of God had this good tension in the Old Testament. And the tension was that there was a covenant that God would make with them so that a holy God could be with his people. And yet there was this good tension that was going on because the people of God, although they were experiencing some sort of relationship with God and they were able to experience his love and to be with him, it wasn't quite the the greater or superior covenant that Hebrews talks about. They were longing for a day where there was a greater superior covenant. A better covenant, as Hebrews says. So they had the relationship with God through the covenant, but there was something better or superior that they were longing for. So there was this longing for something to be fulfilled. The coming of the perfect prophet. The coming of the greatest high priest. The coming of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas time. That that tension has now been released through the coming of our King, Jesus. The king came as a humble child and he came to set up the new covenant made by God with his people, ratified and enacted through the cross and through the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, so that now the Holy Spirit could indwell our lives and our hearts could be transformed and we could live for him. That our hearts could be the dwelling place of God and not just a a temple or a tabernacle. And the entire plan of redemption could be made complete. So Jesus was and is the Messiah, the son of David, the lamb of God, the great high priest, the chosen one of Israel, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And that's what we celebrate at this Christmas season, that the king has come. The amazing gospel truth that I just talked about should elicit worship. It should elicit worship of the king. And that's what we're called to do as those who are called by his grace to worship the king. And that's what I want to talk about as we continue this series, Our King Has Come. We mentioned last week that knowing how to respond to a king is not something that we really know how to do. It's not something in our context that we're accustomed to or used to or even understand. But those in the Bible that we read about certainly did. Regardless of our modern understanding, there are proper biblical responses and postures of worship that our physical bodies take that also reflect the inner part of our hearts. And they're appropriate when it comes to worshiping Jesus, the King of Kings. 
The worship posture that I want to explore today when we come into the king's courts is the bowing of our knees or kneeling before God in an act of surrender and worship. Last week we started in Matthew 2, verse 2. We talked about the wise men saying that they wanted to find this newborn king. They went to King Herod and said, we want to find this newborn king and we want to worship him. So if we continue in that biblical narrative of the Christmas story, we come to the wise men again. Hence why they're called wise. They really know how to worship God. Matthew 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, when they saw the star... They were overjoyed. Why were they overjoyed? Because when you finally find something that you've been looking for, something that you've been searching for, something that you've been longing for, when you finally find it, you're overjoyed. Some of you, maybe you're looking for that present, right? And you're for somebody, that perfect gift, and you've been searching and it's sold out. And when you finally find it, you're overjoyed. But a million times greater than this, it's They were overjoyed because this Messiah that they'd heard about and they were longing for and they were believing for was coming. The fulfillment of their hope was showing up. Verse 11, on the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is like an oil. Some commentators say that this was the roots of the essential oils multi-level marketing business. But notice what they saw. When they saw Jesus, the King of Kings, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Now, most of the time we picture this scene, we visualize them at the nativity scene, right? Because that's uh, that's what we like to visualize. Like they were there with the shepherds and with these farm animals that were just serenely laying down, staring at this glowing child. That's how we picture the nativity, right? We do this because it works for our nativity scenes. Although we've gotten a little bit better, now we see the nativity scenes and they've got the wise men way down the way. They haven't quite got there. Those people are trying to theologically make it correct. They're not there at the nativity. He was probably close to two years old when the wise men showed up at his house, which actually makes it even more odd to me if you think about toddlers and two-year-olds. And if you have those in your family or your life, think about grown men bowing down to your toddler It's very strange. And yet, if we're honest, bowing is strange to all of us in some way. I don't think it's a normal thing that most of us do every day that we bow down or get on our knees. It's like lifting your hands. And maybe last week, that was the first time that you'd done that ever in your life or in a long time at the end of worship when we were exercising, lifting our hands in worship. And at first, it feels a little bit awkward or a little bit different. And yet, it's a time where we honestly come before God and worship him with that physical expression. And so they bowed down. They knelt down. Guys, probably the only time you've ever done that is when you knelt down to propose to your then-girlfriend, as Kevin was talking about a moment ago, begging her to take you. That's probably the only time you've knelt down in your life. Except maybe now we see it more in the news as a protest. And that's probably true as well, even as it relates to what we do in worship. But when you look at God's word, the Bible, you're going to repeatedly see numerous examples of kneeling down in worship, people coming and worshiping God in this humble uh, act of submission and awe of the king and bowing their knees. Let's continue to look at God's word this morning and 
I want to look at one of the passages. We looked at Psalm last week, and we're going to turn there again because this is just reflective of all kinds of postures and attitudes of worship in the 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. And I want to look at Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. And this is what it says. We, we read it already this morning as Thomas was leading us right before in the pre-show. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That's what we want to talk about. Come let us bow down in worship and kneel before the Lord our maker. The word worship in verse 6 is the Hebrew word shakah. And in that word, we see it used almost 170 times in the Bible. And it means, that word worship means to bow down, to bow in worship. It, it doesn't just mean worship however you would like. With inside the meaning of that word, it actually means to bow down. So it says, come let us worship. That word says, come let us worship. And that worship is by bowing down. It also says, actually, in the verse, bow. And that word is a different Hebrew word, kara, and it means, surprisingly, bow. That's what it means. Bow means to bow. There it is, but it has a little more connotation to it. It means to come and to bring yourself low, to be brought low. It has this idea of humility before God. And then we have the word in the next verse, to kneel, which is the Hebrew word barak, and it means to bless, to kneel and to bless abundantly. So we kneel and we bless the name of the Lord. So we see this is happening over and over again in Scripture, not just one time, but multiple times. Why it's so important, and yet it's so odd because we're not used to this in our own context, that we come before God in worship, that we worship through bowing our knee, to bless him through kneeling in worship. One of the reasons I believe that we don't bow more, we don't kneel before God more is in our culture is because we don't truly understand and comprehend what it means to worship the King of Kings, that we truly don't understand the holiness of God. As we talked about a few weeks ago in the Proverbs series, in the wisdom of fear, in that message, we talked about we don't properly understand the fear of the Lord and the awesomeness of God. And if we truly did, then we would come and bow before him. We would bend our knee. That The Bible tells us throughout the narrative that God is so holy that humans cannot even look upon him in his full glory and actually live. One of those accounts is in Exodus 33 where Moses says, show me your glory, God. And, and God's like, you, if you see my glory, you'll die. So I'll tell you what, you go hide in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and I'm going to cover your, your face with my hand. And when I pass by, you can look at me from behind and that's, that's, what you, that's all you can handle to see my glory which reminds me of how grateful I am that we've been hidden in the cleft of the rock, Jesus Christ, so that we could come into his presence this morning in worship and not be eviscerated by him and his holiness, but be able to worship him in the beauty of his holiness. In fact, the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, nobody was allowed to come into the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. And even then, if the high priest didn't do everything perfectly, and all the sacrifices and all the laws, he himself would enter into the presence of the Holy of Holies and die. And 
This is just another reason to be grateful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came to earth to become our great, what, high priest and to set up a new covenant making a once and for all sacrifice for our sins so that today in in 2021 we could walk into this beautiful space and worship Jesus and be able to comprehend and understand a little bit more of what the glory of God is like in worship. The one who spoke everything into existence is the one who calls us into his presence. And suddenly when we think about the holiness of God and the fear of God and even how it was in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, kneeling before God, down before King Jesus seems quite normal. Like the only right and reasonable way that we should worship him. Matter of fact, we were just singing a moment ago in one of those classic Christmas songs about come to him on bended knee. You know what I did? I bent my knee. And it doesn't mean that every time you sing a particular word that you have to do exactly what you're saying, but man, maybe every now and then we should. Come to him on bended knee. Have you ever bent your knee as you come to him in worship? Consider this, bowing does not come as a command. I'm not gonna command you to bow your knee this morning. It doesn't come as a command. It isn't an order from an angry king to say, bow in my presence. Though God has every right to command us to as our creator and we're being the created ones, but I'm not aware of anywhere in the Bible where God commands us to bow down to him. And I believe the reason is because I think that if we understood and we saw God as he truly is in his holiness and with the proper fear of the Lord and his majesty and his love and his awesomeness, that we just would. It wouldn't need to be commanded. He is the creator and we are the created, so it makes sense. Think about this. Bowing, we just said the word worship, it it means bowing in this particular case. So bowing is worship. Worship in, in its most boiled down sense is love responding to love. And so you don't really just demand, I don't demand my wife loves me. She doesn't command me to love her. We just do. And so if worship is love responding to love and and bowing is worship, then I should just bow in worship to God because I love him. I just do. It's one of those expressions the Bible's given me, so I, I just do it. So God doesn't order us to bow down. As a matter of fact, the only time that I see a command about bowing is a prohibitive command, which is don't bow down to any other idols. There's a command because God knows that when you bow down to something other than him, it's going to be destructive to your life. And it doesn't mean that we walk around bowing down and worshiping physically before other idols, but in our hearts we often bow down to all kinds of things other than God. That's why it's so helpful to physically bow our knees when we can before our God so that we don't have other gods before him. To remind us of who is king of our hearts. And that we think about what God has done. When we know who he is and recognize how much he loves us and all that he's done for us, that we would want to kneel before him in worship. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. I guess that is the real question for us, church. Do we long to worship God? 
Do we long to be in his presence? Not just worship at church, but as we said last week, to let the entirety of our lives be full of worship to God, to lift up holy hands to God, to bow our knees before God, maybe get a little bit lower and get all the way down on your face, prostrated before God and say, God, I wanna be near to you. I wanna be close to you. I wanna be in your presence. God, less of me and more of you in my life. Remember, if our hearts belong to God, our worship should belong to God, and that worship will have some corresponding physical responses that the Bible instructs us and gives us. And what better time than right now, even in this Christmas season, what better time than right now, which is today, because I don't need to delay any longer, to worship Jesus the way that he deserves, to think about the birth of Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, not born in a palace, but in a hole, in a wall, in a cave, to symbolize that he came for the lowest of the low, just like me, that he's Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah says, so that there's despair, now he brings hope. Where there's brokenness, he brings healing. Where there's sadness, he brings joy. Where there's bondage, he breaks the chains of oppression and sets people free based on who he is and what he's done. Our only reasonable response would be to bow to the king in worship. And then even what feels a little bit more awkward, and I'll just go ahead and do it. I didn't, it's just like. I mean, I'm sure this feels weird just watching me do this. But it's humbling. It's humbling. That I would bow that I don't care what somebody else thinks, that I'm not worried about what you think about me laying before the king, that when I'm in bondage or I'm in sadness or I'm feeling brokenness or hopeless, that it doesn't really matter what you think about my actions of worship. What matters is that I would appropriately and passionately respond to the king who has the power to do something about my life. So let's just consider some of the reasons why we might want to worship this way. The first one might be that we would bow to seek God, to kneel before God in order to seek God. That's why we would do this. In Mark 10, there's this interesting story, and we know it as the story of the rich young ruler. But really, we, we often just focus in on the question and then what happened at the end and how he walked away sad. But, but what I noticed first in this particular passage is that Jesus sees this man. And it says in Mark 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to notice how he came to Jesus because how we come to Jesus is important. Not just the questions that you have, but how do you come and how do you bring those to the Lord? This guy literally fell on his knees, Scripture says, and that's just a public act of humility and deference. He was so desperate that he fell at Jesus' feet. He had everything that everybody else wanted, but he was missing what everybody needs. And in seeking the answer to that eternal question of 
How do I inherit eternal life? He fell on his knees before God. He was seeking and searching for the answers. But if we're honest, we're all seeking and searching for these answers. And the answers to all of our hopes and all of our questions are found in Christ alone. So we kneel in search of pursuing. We bow in order to seek God. Some of you right now might be in a place where you need some answers, answers in your life. And, you're, and, and maybe you find yourself and you're not really a committed disciple of Jesus. Maybe you find your life right now, you're not a devoted follower of his. You may believe in God, but really you don't have a relationship personally with him. And maybe you're questioning or, or the big word right now, maybe you're deconstructing your faith. If you even have any faith, you're deconstructing it right now. And it's okay, but let me tell you this and let me encourage you to come before God and to kneel before the Lord, your maker, when you have these questions, when you're in that moment of deconstruction, when you're in that moment of doubt. Why don't you kneel before the Lord, your maker? Because, why? Because everything else I've tried hasn't worked, so why keep trying that? Do something different. Kneel to seek the one who has the answer. Bow and pray and humbly cry out to God. Ask him to reveal himself to you. And guess what? You know what happens when you ask God humbly from a genuine heart to reveal himself to you? He does. When you pray something honest and heartfelt like that, be prepared to experience the glory and the presence of God in your life. Because as we mentioned last week, James says, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Or Jeremiah says, when you seek him with your whole heart, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find him. When you come and you bow and you seek with genuine humility, God, I need you. The word says you will find him. And there may be some of you say, you know what? We're talking about eternity here. So I'm going to kneel before God and I'm going to seek him. And guess what? He'll be found. He'll be found. And how we respond to what he says is the next act of worship. Because if you go on and say, well, this guy, he knelt before the Lord in worship, but then he went away sad. Listen, every act of worship leads to another act of worship. And the point of this is you could come kneeling before God and you can receive an answer, but now the next act of worship is that you would obey the answer that you received. Okay, here's the answer. Go and sell all that you have. There's your answer. You've been seeking me. There's the answer. A lot of times Jesus gives us the answer. We just don't like it, so we pretend like we didn't hear it. You know, like your children do a lot of times when you tell them and they act like they didn't hear you. You know you heard me. Now cut that TV off. What? Okay, why are you selectively deaf right now? Because you heard what I said. You heard the answer. Can I have this? No. And then you ask six more times. Did you not hear what I said the first time? There are others of you, and maybe you find yourself in this category. We don't just bow to seek God, but we bow in repentance to God. That's the second way we bow before the king. We bow in repentance. And you see, more often than we care to admit, we do things that are really foolish like we talked about in the Proverbs series. We do things that hurt other people. We do things that hurt ourselves. We do things that hurt our relationship with God and others. Things that break the heart of God. And for some of you, the outside could look like a really pretty Christmas package. But on the inside, they're like the ones around the trees in this, in this building. There's nothing in them. They're empty. On the outside, it could look really nice, but on the inside, it's empty because you're grieving or you're hurting because you hurt somebody or somebody hurt you. There's a powerful example of kneeling in repentance 
in Luke 5, and that's what I really are trying to do this morning. I want to give you examples in the Word of God of how we come and bow before the King this way. Luke 5, it's Peter, right? The story of Peter fishing, and, and he's fishing all, all day long, and he's not catching any fish, which is a really bad day fishing. I don't care what anybody says, a bad day fishing is better than a good day of work. Bull. Am I right, Steve? A bad day fish is just bad. I don't want to be out there all day, especially if it's hot and not catch anything. I'd rather been at work in the air conditioner. Sometimes we come up with some stupid sayings, and that's one of them. If you disagree, that's fine. We can, we can agree to disagree. But Peter's had a bad day fishing, and Jesus shows up, and he says, Hey, Peter, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? And just because we need to make it very clear, it's not like this boat was 80 feet wide. It's like probably 9 to 12 feet wide. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, Jesus, I mean, really? So Peter, although he objected probably in his heart, went ahead and obeyed. And what we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw what? The fact that he took his nets, he threw them to the other side, and there was so much fish coming in the net that it almost sunk his boat and broke the nets. It says this is what happened. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees, at Jesus' knees, and said, oh, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I believe Peter is bowing in repentance, not for something that he's done wrong, but because he's in the presence of a holy God. And just like Isaiah, and just like Job, and just like anybody else, Moses, when you come into the presence of a holy God, you know what you recognize? How much you're not like him. It's not that I'm repenting for something that I've done wrong, although that is something that we need to do. There's just something, and this is what happened to Peter. He went from calling him master to calling him Lord. He recognized that he was, in fact, the Son of God, the Lord. I just saw what happened. Lord, away from me. I'm a sinful man. Basically, idiomatically, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus does? He has mercy on us, the sinner. That's who he came for, to seek and to save the lost. That's who he came for, to heal those who were heart sick. And Peter has a sense of his own sinfulness, and it wasn't due to disobedience, like I said, but due to a general unworthiness as his life intersected with the Holy One, and he was confronted by the Lord's awesome majesty. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus never turns a repentant heart away from sinners like me and you. When we come to Jesus with a repentant heart, recognizing that he is holy and that I'm not, as I say so many times, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I see that I'm nothing like him, but what I know is that he never turns me away. He never does. I mean, he was and is known as the friend of sinners. And he's come to help us. So some of you right now, you could be surprised that you're even in church. You might be surprised that you're even here this morning and you might think, well, God could never love me. Jesus could never forgive me. The church would never accept me. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Because if you would come to God bowing your knee with repentance, Jesus never turns us away. You belong and are welcomed into the presence of God. And what you see as you go on further is what Jesus does when he comes with that repentant heart and he says, you know what, Peter? You're no longer just gonna be a guy that fishes for fish. You're gonna fish for men. In that act of repentance and worship, Jesus changed the direction and the destiny of his life. Lastly, 
we come and bow in submission to the king. Maybe this could be for the first time in your life or maybe for the first time or a hundredth time as it relates to a particular area where you're having trouble letting go or because this particular area has control of your life. But we come and we submit to the Lord. And, and this word submission has a lot of bad connotations in our culture today. And I think it's probably because the enemy loves to take things that God has for us and co-opt it for the kingdom of darkness as opposed to the kingdom of light. That we would submit control of our lives to God is not a bad thing. It's the only right thing. But maybe you'll come to a place today where you finally submit to God and verify it by bowing down, kneeling before God in submission to his will. Submission is not a bad word. It is a relational word to the king of kings. I know as a pastor and probably even a Christian, I shouldn't admit this, but I used to watch uh, wrestling as a kid, the fake kind. That's not fake. (laughs) At least I didn't think it was back then. How many of you still watch that today? Because you could come before the Lord with repentance today, and he always forgives a repentant sinner. So I'm just, just kidding. But I remember back in those days, and, and Ric Flair was kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. Get it out of your system. All right. All right. Those who have never watched this wrestling are like, what is wrong with these people? Why are they wooing? But he would put somebody in the figure four, and... And what was crazy about the figure four is that it pretty much could break your knee off, right? And these people would act like they're going to wait and submit, right? And they would just play this whole choreographed thing out for hours. Like, and in my mind, I think it, that would have ripped his ACL, MCL, PCL, every L that he has. And he's still like, no, no. And that's how some of you are with God. Not that God's going to put you in an arm bar or a figure four, but your circumstances might and your choices might. But see, God doesn't put us in that submission hold. We have to come and make a choice to bow before him. We have to come and say, God, I surrender this area of my life. I surrender and I'm putting down my pride that says I can somehow hold out a little bit longer and not submit. I'm putting down the things that say I've got control of my life right now. God's not going to put you in a submission hold. So I believe the choice today is whether or not we're going to bow and surrender to God's goodness and his love and his plan for our life, which is better than my plan for my life. Some of you need to bow in submission. And that's a supreme posture of humility. What's mind-boggling to think as we struggle with whether or not we're going to submit to God is that Jesus himself submitted to God. I, it, it, first of all, the Trinity and, and all of that's just mind-boggling. It's, it's a mystery. But Jesus, who came to earth both fully God and fully human, it says in Luke that he understood what was coming in his life. He understood that he was born to die. Yes, he was born as a little baby in a little town of Bethlehem, but he was born to die. And in Luke 22, it says that he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, the disciples that were with him, and he knelt down and prayed. 
Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In the supreme act of submission, Jesus bowed down, prayed a prayer of surrender, and he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but submitting to God the Father in worship, saying your will be done. And maybe that's where you come today. Not my will, God, but your will be done. I don't understand. I can't figure this out. This is difficult. This is painful. This hurts. Whatever, God, I've I've come. But, Lord, I'm submitting to you, God. I'm tired of trying to act like somehow I can get out of this and not tap out. I tap out. I tap out. This is yours, God. It's yours. I surrender. That's what some of you need to pray today. Submit to God. Not my will, but your will be done. That's what James says, that we would submit to God and we would resist the enemy. That's what I mean by protest. That also when I submit to God, this is also a protest against the kingdom of darkness that I will not serve you. I will not bow to you. So this is where we are today that as Philippians says, we have a choice. Because one day we won't have a choice. Did you know that? We all have a choice whether we'll bow before the king today in our hearts, physically, I think physically in worship, reflecting the fact that we submitted to him, that we're bowing to him in worship, that we're seeking him. Because one day we won't. Philippians says this, and I'll close. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him, this would be Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You remember Jesus and Peter, and Peter confessed that he is Lord? Every single one of us is going to do that one day. Our God never asked us to bow down to him like a command. He never said, do this. He's given us the choice. But one day it's going to be too late to make the choice. And you'll bow before him as Lord regardless. You'll recognize, oh, he is in fact who he said he always was. I encourage you today to submit to God, to surrender to God, to seek God on bended knee. Today, this morning while it's still the opportunity for you to choose it out of loving surrender to God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and our only reasonable response will be to bow down and to give him the worship that's due his name, to lift our hands up and to bow our knees. And guess what? You can't lift your hands up high enough, and you can't bow low enough for what God deserves. But we're going to try anyway because Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven and saved both now and forever. And worship flows out of a loving heart for the one who has saved us. So considering all that Christ has done, considering all that God has done for me, wouldn't it be proper and reasonable as we declare the fact that God is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think to seek him, to worship him, and to submit to him today through bended knee. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. 
Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from, and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.